I acknowledge with gratitude that I'm a settler who lives and creates on the unceded traditional territories of the Samiamu First Nation, which lies within the shared territories of the Kwantlen, Katsi, and Stolo First Nations. Girls and women around the world with ADHD remain undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, and diagnosed much later in life. And that has devastating consequences. And those consequences cost all of us. Welcome to the ADHD Friendly Lifestyle. I'm your host, Moira Maben, a woman, mom, educator, and I have late diagnosed ADHD. This is the place to practice getting rid of guilt or shame and spending more time with our strengths and passions. There are things that I wish I had known about my ADHD sooner that are allowing me to make different decisions to make my life more ADHD friendly, and I want to share them with you. For show notes, including next steps, resources, and articles on this topic, visit ADHDFriendlyLifestyle.com. Here's the thing. I'm going to get really real in this episode because this is really real. In Canada, we have the Center for ADHD Awareness Canada, which is known as CADAC. CADAC is a national charity supporting those with ADHD. And on September 28th, they released a policy paper entitled, Girls and Women with ADHD are Missed, Forgotten, and Most Vulnerable. As I read that document, I realized many of the points that were made in it are ones that I've tried to weave in to different episodes that we've had. I also wanted to support this policy paper because it's actually also asking for action by the Canadian government and the Canadian medical community, and we deserve that. So I'm going to share this policy paper with you today. I'm going to post it on the page with all the many, many references. It's a well-documented and well-researched policy paper. I thought by verbalizing this policy paper for you, it might give you, those of you who want a one-shot snapshot to share with somebody, a loved one, a medical professional, anyone. You could give them the policy paper or you could share this episode with them. We have to educate school teachers, physicians, mental health practitioners regarding the varied presentation of ADHD in girls and adolescents. Please share this episode. Girls and women with ADHD are missed, forgotten, and most vulnerable. When most people hear the term attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, they usually picture young, overly active boys who have difficulty sitting still and staying focused. What they rarely picture are bright, daydreamy girls unable to get their schoolwork done, or 40-year-old moms struggling to keep their families and households organized their employers happy, and their volatile emotions in check. While all these presentations of ADHD are accurate, it is the girls and women with ADHD who remain significantly underdiagnosed and undertreated in Canada and around the world due to our lack of awareness, training, and research. This is placing some of our most vulnerable Canadians at risk. ADHD, the most common neurodevelopmental disorder in children, is a complex chronic disorder which affects all aspects of someone's life. Conservatively, ADHD affects 1.5 million Canadians. ADHD, especially when undiagnosed and untreated, 
not only impacts the lives of individuals with ADHD and their families, it also has a detrimental impact on Canadian society. The cost of illness associated with ADHD, using conservative indices rates estimates, is over $7 billion. Research has shown that ADHD can reduce life expectancy as much as 22 years, two and a half times more than the four leading health risks, obesity, smoking, alcohol use, and coronary heart disease combined. It increases rates of mental health conditions, such as anxiety, depression, other mood disorders, substance abuse, and eating disorders. It increases lifetime alcohol use disorder to 36% for those with ADHD compared to 19% for those without, and half of adults aged between 20 and 39 with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder have had a substance abuse disorder in their lifetime. It increases the likelihood of attempting suicide. 14% with ADHD versus 2.7 without. It results in fewer years of education, reduces employment by 10 to 14%, reduces earnings by 33%, and increases social assistance. Increases involvement in serious transport accidents by 45 to 47%. Increases physician visits tenfold in adults, as well as emergency visits and hospital stays. And ADHD also increases rates seen in the correctional population. They're five times that of adults and ten times that of youth in the general population. It results in increased rates of sexually transmitted disease and increased rates of adolescent pregnancy. 24 to 38% compared to 4 to 5%. It increases the rate of childhood physical abuse by fourfold. It increases the risk of sexual abuse for both sexes. Rates for males with ADHD increases to 11.1% from 5.6 for those without ADHD. And rates for females with ADHD increase to 33.7% from 14% for females without ADHD. Even though ADHD is often referred to as the most easily treated mental health disorder. Many adults with ADHD remain undiagnosed and untreated. However, in recent years, due to some increased awareness of adult ADHD, we are seeing more adults reach out to their medical professionals, asking for an assessment of ADHD. With the growing numbers of adults being diagnosed, an interesting yet disturbing trend is surfacing. In adulthood, the number of females diagnosed compared to the number of males is close to equal. Yet we continue to diagnose triple the number of boys to girls in childhood. Since ADHD is a highly heritable disorder, this informs us that we are not effectively assessing and diagnosing our girls with ADHD unless they themselves ask for that assessment. Why is this? The Presentation of ADHD in Girls and Women As mentioned, girls with ADHD often look quite different from their male counterparts, who present often more with the more classic or well-known look of ADHD. Although females can present with all three primary symptoms of ADHD, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity, their symptoms often appear less severe and less dramatic, especially around hyperactivity the symptom that is most visual. Rather than running and climbing, girls may exhibit their hyperactivity in less obvious or annoying ways, such as twirling their hair, 
chewing their cuticles, or being too chatty. In addition, while girls can have the combined presentation of ADHD, a meta-analysis indicated that females present more often with a primarily inattentive presentation, which does not include hyperactivity and impulsivity. This results in girls looking more passive, daydreamy, disorganized, easily overwhelmed, and sluggish rather than annoying and disruptive, which are generally the symptoms that prompt referral for assessment. Another reason why girls are less likely to be assessed for ADHD is their strong need to fit in and not be seen as different, but still be seen as competent. Boys seem to be less concerned with these needs. As a society, we still expect girls to be neat, organized, compliant, cooperative, as well as sensitive to others. Girls with ADHD are known to exhaust themselves by spending hours on homework and assignments to hide their academic struggles. Unfortunately, the more subtle presentation of ADHD in girls, along with their added need to conform, results in girls with ADHD going unnoticed, referred less for assessments, and therefore less often diagnosed, understood, treated, and supported. Another significant factor that interferes with the diagnosis of girls and women with ADHD is their high rate of coexisting disorders. Because girls and women with ADHD tend to internalize their symptoms and impairments, it may not be surprising that their comorbid disorders are also internalizing in nature. Unlike those for males who tend to be more externalizing, as stress for these girls increases in adolescence, we begin to see the common comorbid conditions of anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. This often leads to anxiety and depression incorrectly being diagnosed as the primary disorder, decreasing the likelihood that ADHD will be diagnosed. A recent CADAC survey of Canadian women with ADHD found that 46% were misdiagnosed with another disorder prior to being diagnosed with ADHD. 60% of these women felt that their treatment had been delayed by two or more decades due to this misdiagnosis. Many women in this survey spoke about being diagnosed and unsuccessfully treated for anxiety and depression for years and even decades until their underlying ADHD had been diagnosed. One woman said, I wasted over a decade being prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications that did nothing or made things worse. I haven't been nearly as depressed as since starting ADHD medication, and I have only had occasional episodes of depression since then. Anxiety is also better with ADHD medication, but it took me longer to get it fully under control because I had so many years of trauma from untreated ADHD. Another reason why girls with ADHD are missed until later in life is that hyperactivity and impulsivity symptoms seen more in male present early in life, while the intense emotional reactivity problems, frustration tolerance, and mood swings, the more common symptoms in females, increase in severity as estrogen enters the picture. Therefore, the symptoms we more often see in girls with ADHD present less often before the age of 7, unless their ADHD is severe. In fact, premenstrual estrogen levels can create havoc with otherwise regulated ADHD symptoms for adolescent girls and women. Throughout the process and assessment and diagnosis, girls and women are at a disadvantage. Even though girls and women are found to be just as, if not more, impaired and negatively impact as males, 
Teachers and parents refer girls for assessment far less often than boys. The exact reasons for this is unknown. However, it makes sense that the differences in presentation may be a contributing factor. Once a girl or woman is referred to a clinician, these clinicians use rating scales that have been normed using studies with mostly male participants. Many symptoms listed on the even the newest version of the Diagnostic Statistical Manual still focus on the more obvious presentations of ADHD and not the more subtle symptoms seen in girls. Therefore, many girls with ADHD can score as subthreshold on these rating scales, even though they are significantly suffering from their ADHD symptoms. A lack of training of medical professionals impacts the diagnosis of girls and women with ADHD in two ways. Firstly, few physicians and other healthcare providers are trained in ADHD, which results in many girls and women with ADHD being misdiagnosed. Since family physicians and mental health workers are well-trained in mood disorders, these girls' symptoms look to the untrained eye as the symptoms of the more familiar disorders of anxiety and depression. A third of the women in the Kadak survey who were first misdiagnosed were diagnosed with anxiety, while another third were misdiagnosed with depression. Secondly, even when trained in ADHD, physicians and psychologists are rarely trained in the unique presentations of females with ADHD. They're also unaware of the need to take in consideration the extraordinary effort girls and women make to conform and appear competent. A recent consensus paper geared to medical professionals highlighted the need to weigh collateral information more heavily when assessing females for ADHD. Women in the Kadak survey spoke about the cost that lack of diagnosis meant to their lives, stating, it is complicated, multifaceted, painful to have this insight at middle age after so many years of struggle, thinking there was something deeply wrong with me. No direction, immense self-doubt, every decision painted with this brush. Financial problem, binge drinking, eating disorders, immense relationship issues, and complexities. It was a huge relief to be diagnosed, but that came with grief and sadness for so many years of chaos. It's taken a huge toll. A series of Canadian studies have found females with ADHD were far more vulnerable than women without ADHD and had increased risks over males with ADHD in the areas of physical health, mental health, and childhood adversity. The 2016 study, looking at data from a 2012 Canadian Community Health Survey, reported that women with ADHD had triple the prevalence of insomnia, chronic pain, suicidal ideation, childhood sexual abuse, and generalized anxiety disorder, and double the rate of substance abuse, smoking, depressive disorder, severe poverty, and childhood physical abuse compared to women without ADHD. The 2014 study found that only women and not men with ADHD indicated significant increased rates of being exposed to parental domestic abuse during their childhood. The reason for this is unknown. Alarmingly, the 2020 study found that women with ADHD had a lifetime prevalence rate of suicide attempts of 24% 
as compared to a 3% prevalence rate for women without ADHD. Men with ADHD were also more likely to have attempted suicide compared to men without ADHD, however at far lower rates, 9% versus 2% respectively. This study strongly recommends that increased screening for suicidal ideation as well as suicide prevention strategies should be put in place for women with ADHD. The paper also suggests that the current levels of misdiagnosis and delayed or undertreatment of women may be fueling those higher rates of suicide. In addition, females with ADHD incur additional vulnerabilities just because they are female. Teenage girls with ADHD are at a greater risk for pregnancy than are other teenage girls. Perhaps due to their low self-esteem, poor impulse control, poor planning ability, and inconsistency, many of these girls are prone to have unprotected sex, use birth control inconsistently, and or have multiple partners. Females with ADHD also tend to become sexually active earlier than their peers and have increased number of sexual partners, resulting in increased rates of sexually transmitted infections. In later life, perimenopause and menopause may bring on full-blown ADHD, which has been at a tolerable level or even undetected in the past. Several women in the Kadak survey spoke about these experiences, stating, I also feel that more research needs to be done on the uniqueness of the condition in women, as I have experienced changes in my symptoms according to hormonal changes experienced through puberty, pregnancy, and now with someone going through perimenopause. When compared to men, women with ADHD perceive themselves as more impaired and their experiences of negative events as more painful. Social problems may be particularly impairing for girls with ADHD. As they reach their adolescent years, many have difficulty with relationship and social rejection, becoming vulnerable to bullying, including physical and social relational bullying and cyberbullying. Leading experts in women with ADHD frequently describe the additional complexities for women with ADHD they witness in their clinical practices. Dr. Ellen Littman believes that while women with ADHD have similar problems to men, they appear to suffer more, possibly due to the internalizing of their symptoms, hormonal fluctuation, and society's expectations. She feels that they have greater tendencies towards self-doubt and self-harm. The Chesapeake Center speaks about girls being raised to internalize, to take in and own negative feedback, to apologize, to accommodate, not to fight back, and to take the blame on. While Linda Rogoli writes about women with ADHD being more likely to blame themselves for their difficulties, feel lucky if things turn out well, and are more likely to struggle with low self-esteem and shame. In general, women with ADHD are more vulnerable to their perceived failures in self-regulation than men. Due to a lack of awareness and understanding of ADHD in girls and women, as well as the lack of medical training and research in the field of female ADHD, girls and women with ADHD are more likely to be undiagnosed, diagnosed later in life, or misdiagnosed. They therefore remain untreated or treated for an incorrect diagnosis. While this lack of diagnosis and treatment would, in of itself, increase the detrimental effects of ADHD, it is not known why girls and women with ADHD have significantly increased rates of vulnerability to physical and mental health disorders, as well as increased childhood adversity.
Some possible reasons for this have been suggested, such as the internalizing nature of ADHD seen in women, the impact of socialization on females, resulting in their need to fit in and meet expectations, and the additional hormonal impact on ADHD symptoms. At this time, we have very little research explaining this phenomenon. We do, however, know that early diagnosis and multimodal treatments can have a significant impact on the trajectory of the lives of those with ADHD. We also know that there are ways to help rectify the continued under-referral of girls and women for assessment, improve our resources to assess females, use better strategies to mitigate the increased vulnerabilities for women with ADHD, and better flag those who may be affected by those risks. Kadak is asking the government for three things. To increase awareness of ADHD females through mental health and community health initiatives for the public, educators, and medical professionals. Secondly, to fund the development and distribution of female-specific ADHD screening tools to all medical, educational, employment, and justice system professionals. And thirdly, encourage the development of normed rating scales for female ADHD and additional research into the vulnerabilities for females with ADHD through funding opportunities. Kadak is asking the medical community for three things. Encourage all general practitioners and mental health providers to screen for female ADHD whenever any comorbid condition is being considered. Number two, provide training for medical professionals on female ADHD assessment, diagnosis and treatment, and the need for screening of suicidal ideation and treatment. And thirdly, to encourage research into the added vulnerabilities for female with ADHD. Norm rating scales for female, why coexisting mental health disorders drastically interfere with the diagnosis of ADHD in women, how hormonal fluctuations impact women with ADHD, and the best way to disseminate this research to all medical professionals. And this paper highlights the urgent need for medical professionals and governments to help build awareness of ADHD in girls and women, increase training on female ADHD for family and mental health care providers, and support research dollars into better screening and assessment tools for female ADHD. If you're interested in learning more about this situation and to arrange interviews with Dr. Binder, Dr. Thompson Fuller, Heidi Bernhardt, or women with ADHD across Canada, please contact Heidi Bernhardt, the Director of Education and Advocacy at CADAC. All contact information will be on my website at ADHDfriendlylifestyle.com. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and would love to hear your thoughts. To get in touch, you can write me an email at ask at ADHDfriendlylifestyle.com. Connect with me on my website, Instagram, and Facebook at ADHD Friendly Lifestyle or Twitter at ADHDFL. Every episode has a website page with show notes, transcripts, next steps, resources, and articles related to the topic. To get these, visit ADHDfriendlylifestyle.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to subscribe on the podcast player of your choice and by taking the time to rate and review it there. And here are other podcasts for your listening pleasure. On Hacking Your ADHD, Will Kerb gives tips, tools, and insights. Brendan Mahan 
host ADHD Essentials, focusing on parenting and education. Thanks for listening. See you later.